guys welcome back for another episode with me nick and my buddy ronnie's here with me as always yeah fortunate for you fortunate for me eh? what's fortunate for me is that this time i have electricity so i'm not sitting in your kitchen recording podcast for the week that's your, if anybody thought that the quality was exceptionally better they should say that right so we we obviously thought that it came off a little bit better because we were sitting next to one another so I'm not sure if any of the listeners could let us know. That's actually true, guys. If you thought the quality of the pod last week was a little bit better, please do drop us a message and let us know. We'd love to actually find out because it was a change of venue and a change of setup. That would mm. be lucky to know. But speaking of kitchens, Ronnie, I was busy getting my stuff ready for dinner tonight. I was making some gem squash with some creamed spinach in it and some chili. And I'm not really paying attention to what I'm doing. I had a whole teaspoonful of chili. And I thought it was spinach and I popped that in my mouth. So I'm still on fire right now as I speak to you. That was quite a quite a wake up call. Coffee won't do that to you. No, it's also really dumb. <laughs> it's also, I'll give you that. It was a pretty dumb thing to do. But yeah, Ronnie, what, what did you get up to over the weekend? Stage six load shedding. I pretty much battled that all weekend. I watched a bit of rugby in between when I did have the electricity. I also ended up watching the Sia show, the Sia movie. It's a little bit unfortunate, really, because without realizing it, I was watching the movie when I actually was gifted the book for Christmas. So the book's sitting on the bookshelf, and it'll probably never be read now because uh, I'm not one somebody who can watch the movie, then read the book. It has to be the, the other way around. So, well, I guess I can't ask you if it was like the book because you haven't read. But what was the docuseries like? Was it a documentary? No, really good. It's really good. Yeah, it's it's the same sort of style that they followed with Pimpi and with Rassi and whatnot. So painted a bit of a background in terms of who Sia was. It just dawned on me again that I was there for Sia's first game. So quite proud of that. And then on that, following on that, it's also just nice to sort of see where he came from and the struggles that he had. Um, he goes into you know, he goes into quite a bit of detail in terms of where he's come from and the challenges he had, but I'm not going to spoil it, and uh, it's quite inspirational. Yeah, that's like I'm definitely going to give it a watch. I'm going to see if it's on Supersport this evening, then I'll sit down and watch that before I get to editing the podcast. Supersport is turning into a movie producer, going Hollywood style and less away from the sports, it seems. Well, I thought about it last night. There was a part. In the beginning, when these movies all came out, these documentaries, I was all for it. Then there came the time where I thought, okay, it's a little bit too much. But leading into the World Cup, this is exactly what I think we need as sort of a kickstart to, to, to rally the troops because we're going there to defend our trophy or our world champion title. And yeah, I, I think people can get behind the movie if they know who Sia was and, and, and you know, gain that sort of insight. It's a little bit more personal. It's definitely a bit of an eye-opener. I, I wasn't aware of a lot of the struggles that he actually had. I know he touched on it, but exactly to what extent it was, it's definitely rallied me even more behind our captain. Yeah, well, his story is not yet finally written. There's still a lot of work to do this year. So maybe we'll get a second version of it, the sequel, when we win the 2023 World Cup. But Ronnie, like you said, a lot of rugby on this weekend. There were some URC games. Those were the ones that were postponed due to illnesses in the team earlier in the year so the Sharks played host to Ulster scorcher of a day in Durban the ball was quite slippery but Ulster coming away 31-24 victors over the Sharks yeah that was a dismal performance right yeah. let's let's agree we watched the game we weren't happy with with how the Sharks played overall I think that there was some individual brilliance Grant Williams excellent 
right? Yeah. But there's a number of just the overall meshing of the team isn't quite there. Yeah, you know, I think the backline can be quite pleased with the way that they performed. I thought that they had quite a good game. Good to see Buddha Chamberlain back. And how class was that little tap over the head when they kicked back on him and then cratching it? I mean, that was a good piece of skill from Buddha. No, unbelievable. And these kicking boots, I would have liked to have seen him kick for posts, maybe a little bit over Kerwin. Kerwin doesn't seem to have his kicking shoes on at the moment. Yeah, so that was actually a comment I wanted to make, was two tactics I thought the Sharks got crucially wrong in this game. And one was to persist with Kerwin Bosch as the kicker when they had Buddha Chamberlain on the field. You know, Kerwin really was not having a good time off the tee, missing vital points in that game that could have built the scoreboard pressure we needed. But the second, And that's exactly it. Like, it might not have been enough kicks right to, to you know, make up the points deficit. But if you're closer, the team plays is a little bit more motivated to play and you could make different decisions, not go for post, go for the lineup or, or go for post and, then, you know, have that confidence in your team just to play a little bit better. Exactly. And I mean, if you don't have scoreboard pressure, everything else becomes more difficult. So that was the one. The other tactic for me that was absolutely absurd was our insistence on keeping to maul the ball. We went time after time after time forming a maul, and Ulster had our number in every single one of those mauls. Not one did we actually go forward and generate good momentum, and yet we stuck with the tactic. Well, this is sort of the observation I made just listening to Eddie Jones recently. He mentioned, you know, back in the day when he was coaching for the Brumbies and involved with Australia, he had George Gregan, right? And he felt that George Gregan was like having a coach on the field. And it goes back to John Smith, the argument for when John Smith and Bismarck played. It's important to have a captain on the field that can also be the coach on the field and make those strategic changes when it's necessary, when he sees things aren't working and to, to sort of flip the script a bit and try something new. And maybe we didn't have that this weekend. Yeah, it was a bit disappointing for me from the Sharks. How was that Dwayne Vermeulen handoff on Ruan, though? That was a menace. I think Dwayne's just proving that he's still got something in the tank. Yeah, well, I mean, a good good performance from Dwayne, definitely putting in a solid, solid outing as captain of Ulster, in fact, and getting some attention from the Bok coaches. But then we need to talk down about this so-called 1,000 IQ try from Ulster when they dotted the ball down on our line when Grant Williams, I say... <laughs> dotted it down. It should have been a five-meter attacking scrum to Ulster. Well, Swayze the Brain made a comment that referees also look at the intent, right? And the intent was by Grant Williams to kick the ball. And he asked a very important question. At what point does intent overrule the rules, right? And that's that's exactly it. it by the sounds of it, it said the referees thought he had the intent to kick the ball. But this is surely the first time where we've seen intent overrule the actual rule. Yeah, that's definitely a first for me. I mean, we watched the game and I said instantly that I thought it was dotted down and should have been a scrum. Unfortunately, the ref didn't rule it that way and Ulster getting a what is now known as the thousand IQ try. So well done to Ulster. They needed those points and Sharks lucky to stay. Well, I just want to make a comment. If they say that that's a thousand IQ try, then Eben Etzebeth with Joe Marler not being bound at the ruck and going around and picking the ball up and then going off to score a try, that's a 1,001 IQ try. I definitely back that point, Ronnie. That's that's for sure. But the Sharks just managing to hang in the top eight. I think they owe a bit of credit to the Lions. So the Lions hosted Glasgow in Ellis Park. Lions winning that one 35-24, even though they had three re- or three cards sorry, in the second half. I didn't watch again, unfortunately. 
but well done to the Lions. I, I really just want the Lions to do better, right? So even in the Champions Cup, but URC, first and foremost, that's where they really need to focus. And I'd love to see them crack into the top eight. Thanks for thanks for doing us a Sharks a solid, but yeah, well done to the Lions. Yeah, I think it needs to be said as well. You know, their prop in Klabakanya, he's gotten a lot of flack over the, the year and a half and saying, you know, he's terribly out of shape and he doesn't belong on the field and all of this. That man may have a big frame, but yo, he has a high work rate. He got through a ton of work this weekend. You know, I was just about to say that I was going to disagree with what you were, what I thought you were going to say. Because yes, he is a very big shape, but man, that guy can get around the field. And I don't see him walking. I actually see him putting in big hits and getting to the rucks. Wouldn't think that that's possible with, with how large he is, but yeah, he's a force to be reckoned with. Yeah, so I don't agree with those detractors. I think he had a very, very good performance at Ellis Park this weekend. But again, this brings the question, Ronnie. No one in that stand. I think even the players' girlfriends didn't pitch this week. It was empty, 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 empty. No, that's the last days of Ellis Park, I'm sure. And I mean, you said it last week. You're not sure if you're going to make your way down to Ellis Park this year. And uh, look, it's just an unfortunate, really. There's some there's some great stadiums out there where the atmosphere would just be that much greater. And it's a lot more accessible than uh, these other stadiums. Ellis Park, yeah, it's unfortunate. Yeah, definitely not great to see. And I definitely think it's time to consider a change there. It's not working. And then we move over to the Six Nations. Less of an exciting weekend overall in the competition for me, but some some genuinely interesting moments. We started the first mm. one with Ireland 34-20 Italy. Bloody well played to the Italians. They were in that fight the whole way. Yeah, and we said this though, how long are the Italians really going to hold on and they're just going to get thumped by by Ireland and by all the teams, but they're not. They are playing exceptionally well. They played well against France um, and this is their, really what's the third game where they played exceptionally well. It's just a shame that they haven't come away with a win yet. Luckily, they, they're above Wales on the log, but, but well done to Italy. They're playing really well. Yeah, they really are putting in performances. And, you know, it's just that inexperience that's not seeing them hold the games at the end. But the team is really playing well. Fantastic to see Garbisi there. The fullback is Capuazzo is unreal. And then what did you think of Mac Hansen's returns? I mean, he hasn't scored in five tests for Ireland. And then he bags two and drops the F-bomb in his post-match, man of the match interview. I saw you said on the group you want somebody to record that, but. I'm not sure if anyone did. Yeah, I had a good laugh at him for that. And then James Lowe's antics. That guy seems to love scoring tries that are like right on the edge, need the TMO. Is he in the air? Is he on the ground? No, shake. Yes, unreal. Maybe he just loves the camera. He wants people to to watch him score his tries slow-mo. Yeah, also true. And he has that cheeky smile every time he gets up. So it's been good to watch him play. And I mean, there's a debate here now. This ties sort of two games together. Everyone's raving about Freddie Stewart's performance against Wales. But I just cannot stop complimenting Hugo Keenan, the Irish fullback. I think he is unbelievable at the back for Ireland. Yeah, playing very well. I mean, we had Matt Proudfoot on a couple of weeks ago. And, you know, he mentioned that the fact that the team is so loaded with Leinster players. We know what, we, what we're going to get. But since then... I felt that Ireland have been putting up some surprisingly good performances and there's been a lot of individual players that have been putting their hands up and taking it up at next level. So uh, Ireland's 
other still power. Yeah, I think Ireland got what they needed out of this game. You know, they kept this Grand Slam alive. They won the game and they got to blood some youngsters. Tick, tick, tick. Andy Farrell will be happy with tick, that. Tick, tick, tick. What more do you need? Then we go over to England versus Wales. I mean, this game for me just proved that neither of these two are really in contention for the World Cup. I don't think they're going to manage to string anything of, of quality together over the next six to eight months. Yeah, look, it was a little bit touch and go with Wales, whether they were going to play or not, whether there was going to be strike action from the players. So I think that there was a lot of off-field antics going on. and Maybe they lost a bit of focus. We would have really wanted Wales to put up a better showing. But with that said, England, I don't think, impressed me much either. It's almost like you were singing a song there, Ronnie. But also great to see Lee Halfpenny back at fullback. I mean, that guy's been pure class for Wales over the years, so really, really good to see him return. Toby Falatau, also industrious. He gets through a ton of work. But the game, you know, it, it was an evenly matched the two bottom teams in the Six Nations for me. That's what I saw on display. Like you said, there was some off-field drama for Wales. I did actually back them on Supergroup for the win. I uh, didn't get that call correct, unfortunately. But what do you make, Ronnie, of the substitution of Marcus Smith and Harry Arundel with one minute left to play? Well, just giving them a, a minute to, uh, well, you can't really do much in a minute. That's always a bit of a waste, right? Exactly. Yeah, I think that's just more a case of giving someone the cap for saying you worked hard in the week. And unfortunately, the game didn't work out in such a way that they bring him on earlier. And then Borthwick obviously just brings him on to say, here's your cap so that you can just add it to your stats. I don't think there was much in that. Yeah, I think it's a pretty silly thing to do, bring someone on with one minute. I think it's disappointing for the player. I think it's a waste of a test cap. I mean, one minute you can absolutely do nothing on. Yeah, I I, I don't think Marcus Smith would have lost it, right? I don't think he would have lost the game for them had he come on 15 minutes or 20 minutes to go, right? So put him on the field. Let him gain that crucial, crucial experience that's needed for when England go to the playoff stages of, or even towards the business end of the Six Nations. But mostly so for the, you know, he needs that experience well in advance before they get to the World Cup. Yeah, and I find it curious that his playmaking abilities are not being utilized considering Nick Evans is there, who's come now from Harlequins to offer the same coaching style you would have thought. But we're seeing more of the Leicester hard upfront tactical kicking game. And that's why Wales and England were so evenly matched. They played such similar styles this weekend. Don't say that because Wales play such a good, such a similar style to the Springboks. I'd hate for the English to also adopt that now. Yeah, well, I think with Borthwick in charge, that might be what we get going forward. And then hell of a game on Sunday. France 32-21 Scotland. Scotland's Grand Slam mm. hopes up in flames, but they can hold their heads high. I mean, that's a well, well-drilled French team. And what a bloody game that was. Two red cards in the first 10 minutes. One for Grant Gilchrist and one for Mohamed Hassous. Both red carded. Hassous has a bit of a history as well as a player. Probably his last test for France. Yeah, so unfortunately, or fortunately, I watched the uh, women's T20 final. I was hoping South Africa could pull it off in the cricket. They didn't. So when I switched over to the rugby, the red cards had already happened. To me, that was what I really wanted to see live. Couldn't get around to that. But I thought Finn Russell was angry on the field, man. That guy was a dangerous, dangerous Scotsman. Just channeling his inner brave heart. Yeah, and I thought some good game management from, from Finn Russell at times in that game keeping the, the guys alive. But one thing that crept into the Scottish game in sort of the last 20 minutes was popping the ball around, not really taking it to ground, resetting the, the back line was fractured. And, you know, Finn Russell needed to come in there and be like, you know what, let's one, two, three phases. 
and then we can try our crazy stuff again. You know, another thing there, Thomas Ramos, 17 points in that game for France. Very, very well done. And I mean, he's starting to put Jaminet's spot at fullback in doubt. I mean, that's the level of quality they have in two fullbacks. Yeah, building some good quality depth there. I mean, we've we've had this problem with our locks before. We didn't know who our best two locks were in the country. And it's a good problem to have. So for them to have uh, the problem of two incredibly good fullbacks, that's good for France and good for their World Cup hopes. Yeah, it's very, very good for them. But very disappointing for France as well to see Jalanche succumb to an ACL injury, likely out for nine months. That means their star flanker will probably miss the Rugby World Cup. That's heartbreaking for a mm. player that's been working with the squad for so long. Yeah, yeah. Gail Ficou gets man of the match at outside centre. Now I'm looking here at a potential matchup between Ficou and Lucanio Um as quite a nice thing to watch. I think that'll be really lucky to see in a World Cup final. In a World Cup final or quarterfinal? World Cup final, my boy. France, South Africa. You heard it here first. <laughs> no, no, that would be interesting because, okay, look, Kanye Am hasn't exactly had all the game time that he's probably wanted, been out of injury and whatnot. So let's hope that Kanye comes back, he's still firing in all four cylinders. And um, yeah, because Lucanio Am's good, right? So to put the two, like you say, your claim is two best centers in the world up against one another. That's going to be interesting. For sure it will. And then, Ronnie, we can hop over to the Super Rugby Pacifica this week. Some crazy results going on there as well. Just going to highlight a couple of them. The Hurricanes got a 47-13 win over the Reds, silencing the Aussies early on. Can Unbelievable, you? honestly. Let's hope that the Aussies can step it up, though. We don't want another runaway from the Kiwis. We want the Aussies to really perform. And then the Blues with a thumping 60-20 victory wow. over the Highlanders. I don't know if that's so much as, well done, Blues, you guys are incredible, or what's going on with the Highlanders. Yeah, they definitely struggled to stop the Blues attack in that game. Mark Talia getting man of the match. He was a newly capped All Blacks wing last year. And then Moana Pacifica going down 34-36 to Fijian Drua. Very, very nice win for the Fijians. I think that was quite a lucky game as well. I did watch the highlights of that one. Yeah, it's always exciting, right? Because they've now what been they've replaced some of the, the, the Japanese sides, South Africa sides of Argentina. They've come in now into super rugby. And I don't think that they've been as dismal as people thought they would be. And they've uh, put out some good performances the last season. Uh, obviously they played against one another now this season, but I'd love to can't wait to see how they match up against the sort of traditional super rugby teams. Yeah, very well done to them. And definitely, like you say, I'm keen to watch that. And then the result that got everyone talking, the first game of the week, Chiefs beating the Crusaders 31-10. Oh. Yeah, so I went quite big with my score on Super Brew. And, you know, I got a notification on my phone. I was obviously working. At first 10 minutes of the game went by and I thought, well, I picked the right, the right score, you know. Crusaders already 10 points. It's going to be fantastic. And then for the, for the Chiefs to switch it on and uh, go into another gear, then to dominate, Crusaders, and we said last week, right, that we, we don't necessarily want it to be the Crusaders just dominating once again. So it's good to see. Well, to the Chiefs. They were, I'd say back in the day, they were my choice Kiwi team. And uh, it's good to see them playing well. well. It is the first round, though, so let's see. Yeah, you see, that's exactly what I say. It's the first round, but I've already seen people muttering over Twitter that, you know, maybe the Crusaders really was Jason Ryan and not Scott Robertson which I think is a bit of a stretch for the first game of the year. Yeah, I know. I think Scott Robinson still still knows what he's doing. 
I agree with you on that, Ronnie. Look at us uh, getting along this evening. And then, Ronnie, let's just chat again. We have spoken about this quite a lot, but this red card issue. Now, when I was watching, you said uh, you missed it, but watching the France-Scotland game, you know, one red card came out for Scotland for Gilchrist, and I thought, oh, shit, well, here we go. The contest is ruined. France are going to run riot now. My super brew is fucked. And then France got a red card, and it balanced things out again, both in the pack. And I, I'm more and more leaning towards this thing of issue the card, the player doesn't go off, or it's off for 20 minutes, and then they get a heftier penalty after the game. Or a case of the player goes off and they, they're welcome to bring on a substitute player for him. That player can take no further part, but that they are able to bring on a player off the bench, I think is a fair compromise. Yes. Uh, the player was dumb enough to to put himself in a position to, to get a red card. So send him back to the sheds, go have an early shower and an ice bath, but don't you know let the team bring on a substitute 20 minutes later off the bench. And I think I think that's probably what you said here in the agenda. Do we need a review post-game? I think we do have an element of that, but it should be more formalized, right? So the team could bring on a substitute off the bench to replace the red card red carded player, and then a heftier fine, I suppose, in the post-match review. Yeah, I think that's the best way to handle it. Hopefully we'll see that rule getting implemented after the World Cup. I think that would would keep the contest alive, you know, and that's really what you want to see at the end of the day. And talking of the officiating, Nigel Owens could be wearing the green and gold at the World Cup. Say it came as a surprise, but it didn't really. We know we heard mutterings of a ref coming into the Springbok uh, setup to sort of be our referee coach. And I saw a lot of black people on, on the Reddit forums uh, start punting Nigel Owens for the position. Uh, so subconsciously, I think I was prepared for that announcement. I, I don't think it's officially, uh, no. you know, there's a bit of smoke, so we hope that there's fire as well, because that would be amazing, right? Yeah, I mean, that's the edge you want going into World Cup. And someone actually pointed out on our page that in 2019, or sorry, 2021 at the Lions Tour, Rossi said in a press conference that the 2023 World Cup will be won by a refereeing decision. And now he's hiring Ooh. a referee consultant. And who better than Ooh. Nigel? Good old Nigel. And Nigel has spoken about the fact that he loves the Springboks. Well, maybe I'm just uh, reading into it a bit. He's obviously spoken about his, the favorite game that he's ever refereed and being a matchup between the Springboks and, and the All Blacks. So I hope I hope there's an element of him loving the Springboks and, and, and agreeing to this, coming over to South Africa, getting a little bit of a home in Cape Town and then being in and around the Springbok mix because I think... Uh, He's just one of those names in rugby that everybody's going to look up to and listen to. No, I 100% agree. And I think that's a nice way for us to try the move and stuff with a ref there and be like, you know, Nigel, can I get away with this, eh? Like, is, is this okay? Right to the edge of what the rules allow. And if there's a controversial decision that happened during the game, uh, Rusty could just go to Mr. Owens and say, oh, Mr. Owens, what do you think? And he's going to say, hang on, I've got a, a inner circle WhatsApp group that I can... Uh, call on so i think that'll count so rossi rossi doesn't have to be the bad guy check is not chess eh? and ronnie another good news for south african rugby dobber has stayed at the storm is signing another four-year contract that's so good right i mean dobson's really really done well with the stormers stormers much as i hate them they really are a very strong team and they play so well and i think it's it's very much down to the coaching setup that they have there and dobson's done exceptionally well so I'm glad to see him staying with the Stormers. 
but more so staying at least in the South African mix. Yeah, I agree. It's great to see our, our intellectual property and rugby staying in the country, keeping with our teams, sticking with those opportunities, because he is probably the top coach in South Africa at the moment, outside of the Springbok setup. Oof. I want to say that's a bold statement, but unfortunately, I, I think I agree with you there. Yeah, well, it's not unfortunate then, Ronnie. It absolutely blew my mind when I went on Instagram today and see, oh, the Curry Cup is starting. 10th of March mm -hmm. to the 24th of June. So now our teams are going to be playing Curry Cup, URC, and Heineken Cup. What the hell? No, we said this. We said this last year. We said it this year. We've said it every second podcast at least. It's a year-round calendar. And there's a lot of tournaments that are merging into one massive thing. I actually just want to know what's going to happen with the Vodacom Cup, right? Because, you know, 10, 15 years ago, Vodacom Cup was big because the Curry Cup was... Also very big, and they were super rugby as well. But the timeline allowed for all of them to sort of not interfere with one another. But now with this international calendar that we have, us playing rugby 365 days of the year, yeah, it's it's going to be difficult. We we spoke about having very large squads. You know, people there needs to be A and B and C teams ready to go. I think I was a little bit surprised with some of the players that played for the Sharks this weekend. I think they scraped some of those players out of dark corners that I, I never even knew they existed. That's probably good to see, right? So we're probably giving our local players a lot more opportunity to to play a very competitive rugby. Yeah, I think this move has now just completely annihilated the, the tradition of the Curry Cup and what it can be because it's literally going to be these teams' third priority and they're going to put squads in there that are really not up to the standards of the senior side. So I don't know how they expect to draw crowds for those games. Well, but unfortunately, where well, else? Like can I say, it? dude, it's it's probably it's pro it's probably the new Vodacom Cup, right? Yeah. So unfortunate. That's why I want to know what happens with the Vodacom Cup. Does that drop away? Yeah, it's very unfortunate it's reached this point, but there really is nowhere else to put it. And then a longtime friend of the show is getting the fan topic for this weekend. I don't know if you remember all the way back to the first few tester episodes we released. Jonathan was the guy that emailed us and asked us, you know, what's happened to the show. So Jonathan, thank you for that. And thank you for your submission for this week's question. So your question was, because the Southern Hemisphere nations end up traveling over such big time zone differences, do you think it makes their ability to compete in the World Cups far greater than the Northern Hemisphere teams that can take a train, a bus, or a ferry? Ronnie, hit it. It's a it's a difficult one though. So I was thinking about this one on the on the drive home from work today, and I asked myself why are the Southern Hemisphere team so dominant. You know, rugby was invented in in England, right? In or in Britain. With that said, the the colon the colonies, you know, the Southern Hemisphere have been the powerhouses since the late eighties, right? We've won all but one of the World Cups. Why are we so dominant? So I wanted to say. No, it doesn't make a difference, or, or but there is definitely an element. There is definitely something that 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 works to the southern hemisphere favor, and maybe it is a case of we're so used to going to a foreign place and setting up camp there, and we're used to playing in a, in foreign conditions that when we get to a World Cup setup, we we surely should be better prepared for it. That that mindset of we're not playing at home, we're not close to home, we're very far away, and we're up against it, and we need to get our heads heads. Uh, 
screwed on right and we need to be prepared for the world cup so i think perhaps there is an element of that right we're used to going on tours and we're used to being in those setups and we're used to being focused as a result of it yeah i do generally agree with you there ronnie but i'm going to bring another aspect i mean the world cup has played over eight weeks the springboks last world cup arrived two weeks early this time they're going to be three weeks early i think over a competition of that long, the travel factor doesn't really have an effect anymore. You're not dealing with jet lag. You're not dealing with, you know, being cramped in a bus and, and all of this stuff. You've settled in at your team's hotel. You've got your training routine in place. You know, you've been there for quite a while. And I think another distinct advantage the Springboks had in 2019 was that Rossi and Jacques are very family oriented. So the Springboks family members were allowed to stay in the hotel, you know, making it as comfortable as possible. So I think the travel has an influence maybe in the shorter competitions like the, the autumn internationals and so on. But I think over an eight-week tour like the World Cup, the travel factor is much less of an influence on the outcome other than the home team okay. advantage. But then to, to, to answer Jonathan's question, it's not the travel that, that makes Southern Hemisphere teams have a better, have a stronger ability to compete. It's not the travel. It's something else then. Yeah, I would say it's something else. Built on, built on. <laughs> yeah, we could say built on, right? But there's Australians and there's uh, there's Kiwis that. Well, oh well, I suppose there's enough South Africans there. They they definitely have some built on. Okay, built on and Vegemite. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, Jonathan, please pop me your address where I can send you some punted merch. And thanks for reaching out on this one. I think that's it from us for this week, eh, Ronnie? No, well, that's it. Unfortunately. Yeah, guys, so thanks for tuning in. Don't forget to like and subscribe and share us with all your mates. Thanks for tuning in this week and we'll catch you back here next week, Wednesday. Mm -hmm.